Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, where we dive into the big issues and big decisions facing us as Americans. Today, we take a deep dive into politics. No, not where most people are focused, not on the crowded Democratic 2020 primary, not on Senate or congressional races either. Today, we focus on the all-important races for governor, which will have a huge impact, first on public policy, since so much is happening at the state level, and second on reapportionment, those new congressional district lines that will be drawn after the 2020 census. For insights into what's happening in state capitals today, we turn to Governor Gina Raimondo, who's now in her second term as governor of the great state of Rhode Island and also serves this year as chair of the Democratic Governors Association. Governor, it's good to see you. Good to be with you. And nice to be back in Rhode Island. Yeah, on a beautiful summer day. I know, exactly. It's always beautiful in Rhode Island. Oh, hey, I like that, always. You know, I want to ask you, first of all, um, people pay a lot of attention, get all excited about presidential contests, about Senate races, about House races. They love that top of the ticket. Uh, not so much governor's races. Um, why not? And why do you think governor's races are so important? I think governors are more important than ever. And I think Democrats have ignored the statewide races to our peril. I would say Republicans have done a good job over the years of paying attention to governor's races and state general assembly races. And that's why just a few years ago, we woke up and only had 15 Democratic governors because we weren't paying attention. We were asleep at the switch. And so now, as chair of the Democratic Governors Association, we're really doubling down on governors. But if you think about it, Bill, what are the issues that matter most? Health care. Well, who's securing the Affordable Care Act state by state? Governors. Uh, We're the ones that decide, will we take the Medicaid expansion? Will we have a well-run health exchange? Um, Education. Those are state-level decisions. Uh, Choice. Last week, I signed Mm -hmm. a Reproductive Health Care Act. Regardless of what happens at the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land in Rhode Island. A governor was able to do that. So I think especially now when you we're at an all-time high level of dysfunction in Washington, thing, you know, things will happen at the at the state level. And you didn't mention but what goes along with it too coming up to the 2020 census. Absolutely. Reapportionment. Reapportionment uh, absolutely. You know, there's one person in a state who can veto a jerry-rigged map and that's a governor. Uh, how the census is conducted? Is there uh, enough public education? You know, we just put an allocation, our General Assembly, at my urging, 
put an allocation of resources into the census in Rhode Island to make sure that people are educated, feel comfortable, open the door, are aware. So I, I could go on and on. Climate change. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like within a week after President Trump had pulled America out of the uh, the Paris Climate Accord, I committed Rhode Island to the goals of the Paris Climate Alliance, and we're going to hit those goals. So, you know, I think governors have always been important, but again, at a day and age when nothing good is coming out of Washington, people need their governors to step up and make things happen and protect them, actually, from what is happening in Washington. Uh, I want to come back to some of those issues in just a second, but first, uh, so speaking of governor's races, Again, the focus on 2020, but at the governor's level, there's action this year yeah, in three year. states, right? Yeah. Kentucky and Louisiana and Mississippi. Yes. Um, maybe most of the attention is on Kentucky. Um, Matt Bevan is called the least popular mm-hmm. governor in the country. Uh, and he has a contender in uh, Andy Bashir, son of former governor of mm-hmm. Kentucky. Uh, how do you see Kentucky, and um, should Democrats be hopeful to have a shot there? We should. I like our chances. I like our chances. We have a terrific candidate in Andy Bashir. His father, Steve, was a wonderful governor and, and beloved. Uh, it, look, it will be difficult. It's Kentucky. You know, Trump is still quite popular in Kentucky. So it's not, it's hardly a layup. However, uh, as you say, Governor Bevin hasn't done a good job. He is not popular. Andy's leading now in the polls, and he's working his tail off. And we're going to get behind him. The, the, last year was a banner year for the DGA. You know, we we worked hard. We we won in places like Kansas and Michigan and Maine and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. all states that had previously had a Republican governor that we flipped. Some places like like Kansas and Maine and Michigan, people said, you'll never elect a Democrat, and we did. So this year, we're going into this cycle on the offense with the wind at our back. Uh, and I I feel very good about Kentucky. Um, Mississippi, Phil Bryant cannot run for re-election. Right, open seat. Uh, so it's t- totally open. Uh, the primary is not until August, so we don't really know how it's going to shake down. Or what what is your take on... Uh, Mississippi, Jim Hood, the Attorney General, is running. Is yes, so it'll be. It'll will he be the nominee, or do we? Yes, yeah. Jim will be the nominee. He's a very popular Attorney General. In fact, in his last two races, he was the top vote getter in the state. He got more mm-hmm. votes than anybody for any other race. Uh, he's a moderate, uh, so we, you know, I think I think if anyone can win, it's Jim Hood. He's popular. He's well liked. He's battle tested. Uh, he's moderate. Mississippi's hard. You know, Mississippi, it's hard to put a Democrat in the governor's mansion of Mississippi. They also have a very unusual electoral system in Mississippi. In order to become the governor, you have to win the majority of the votes, the majority of the popular vote, but also the majority of the legislative districts. Whoa. So, yeah. And so, and if you're unsuccessful, then the vote goes to the legislature. So again, I like our chances and we're going to get behind him. And we have the, as I say, everything I said Mm -hmm. before, the wind at our back. 
but you know we are realistic in that this will not be easy uh and in louisiana we do have a democratic governor john bell edwards who is running for re-election. re-election. Yeah. Primary, again, is not until October 12. Right. Uh, it's strange. That they it have be. a runoff system, which is different. Right. How's it look there? And do you think uh, Governor Edwards might be able to win without a runoff? Uh, I do. I do. He, John Bell, has done a fantastic job. He just, he expanded Medicaid, which has provided health care for thousands of people in his state. He just gave a raise to school teachers, something that hasn't happened in far, far too long. He brought, he did criminal justice reform. He made, that's hard to do in Louisiana, and he made their system more fair, more just, and frankly better for the economy to give people a chance to, you know, get a job. And uh, he's, look, he's digging that state out from years of Bobby Jindal's misguided leadership. When Bell Edwards took over, when John Bell took over, the, the fiscal situation was terrible. The economic situation was terrible. He's taken the state from a deficit to a surplus, and they're on the move again. Um, but above all of that, he's well-liked. He's raising money extremely at a great clip, and, and we are totally behind him. So, again, it's Louisiana. He's a Democrat, but I love our chances. He's a different kind of Democrat yes. from that might win and certain other states. I was reading, uh, just getting ready to talk to you about it, that he's described as uh, Christian, pro-life, and pro-gun. Yes, it's Louisiana. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is true. So I do not agree with John Bell on everything, uh, particularly around choice and guns. He he just signed a fetal heartbeat legislation. You would not sign that. Right. And I think... You know, he did. Look, at it's a state by state system, and I don't agree with him on everything, and I don't agree with him on those issues. But supporting teachers, providing health care through the Affordable Care Act, uh, criminal justice reform, giving people a fair shake, investing in public schools, there's a whole lot to agree on with him on. And given the alternatives, I am. We are all in for Governor Edwards. And the right political stripe for a state like exactly. Mississippi. Exactly. Right. Yeah, Louisiana. Exactly. Or Louisiana. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So when we look at 2020, there are 25 Democratic governors today, right? 23. 23. 23. I'm sorry, 23. Right. 23. Uh, yes. And a lot of that, as you say, is, is thanks to last a year. really good year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, last yes. year. Yes. Um, 11 states up. Next year. In 2020, yeah, and to to the territories, um, just um, for our listeners, running through the list of states: Delaware, Indiana, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and West Virginia. Three of them now held by Democratic governors. Uh, Montana, C. Bullock cannot run for re-election. Right. You want to predict uh, how you feel about 2020? I never felt better. You know, we, as you said, last year was, it was just a watershed year for the Democratic Governors Association. We raised more money than we ever have. We had more success. The majority of Americans now have a Democratic governor. That That's hmm. a great thing. That hasn't been the case in a long time, you know. Right. Be, because we have populous states, you know, California, Michigan, Wisconsin, New York, New Jersey. So we do have 
a great deal of momentum. Uh, also, there's so much at stake. You know, back to our previous discussion, if you think about what the Trump administration is doing as it relates to climate change, a woman's right to choose, access to health care, uh, affordable college education, the president and his administration are actively, you know, trying to hurt the American people, take away health care, undo climate change protections, mm -hmm. make it harder to go to college, make it harder to, you know, get job training. And governors are the last line of defense against that. And I think people realize that. You know, I said I, I signed this choice bill last week. First thing I did as governor, the very first thing I did as governor was making it so that our um, our health exchange was locally run, locally operated. 98% of children in Rhode Island have health insurance. 96% of Rhode Islanders have health insurance. Mm. So, so mm -hmm. people are depending on their governor to stick up for them and protect them from what's going on in Washington. So I think, you know, in some of those states, Utah obviously will be a challenge. North Dakota will be a challenge. But um, North Carolina, we have a terrific governor. We're going to keep Roy Cooper right where he is. Um, I think we'll certainly can maintain Delaware. We we have we have great candidates coming in the pipeline in Indiana, Missouri. So I feel I feel good about our chances. You're going to compete in all uh, in all eleven yeah, states. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to compete in all eleven states. And re and have recruited good candidates. We are going to compete in all 11 states, and I think we're going to surprise a few people at how well we do in some of those states. Mm -hmm. Just like last year, everybody wrote off Kansas. We now have a woman Democrat governor of Kansas. Uh, and Wisconsin. And was Wisconsin, it? exactly. Was that was a big one. Um, you are the first female governor of Rhode Island. True. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Um, uh, how, how important is that to you, to, to yeah. see women uh, governors? Very. It's very, very important. Um, I'm also the first mom to be a governor. Hmm. Hmm. It matters. You know, I've brought about uh, a tripling of the number of public pre-K classrooms, all-day kindergarten. Uh, as I just explained, every kid has health care and health insurance. I think because I'm a mother and I see my own children benefit from High quality public school, high quality child care. I just I I bring a certain passion to the job. But I'll tell you, the best part of my job is seeing girls, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve years old, who who are inspired that there is a, a woman in the office and it gives them hope that they can be whatever they want to be in life. Because they see things, they come to the state house, and they see every oil painting on the wall as of a white mm -hmm. man. The children see it, mm -hmm. and then they see me. They come into my office. My office is filled with artwork from my kids, and they can, they can see themselves in me. And it gives these girls the hope to know they can be whatever they want to be. They work hard. You you mentioned, um, and I want to circle back to, uh, it was Justice Brandeis, of course, who called the states the laboratories of democracy. Yeah. Which is a great phrase, I think, because it means that it's almost like states can experiment with things and think how, see how they work out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're good, then other states will adopt them, maybe the entire country. Um, and they can also, as you say, hold the line against and do things a little bit differently than might, what Washington might be, might be expecting. 
Um, let's talk about climate change. What can the state do when you have a president who is trying to undo everything Barack Obama had done to to deal with the crisis of climate change at the state you know, level? Of all the dangerous, destructive things that the Trump administration is doing, and it is a long list, I would put this at the top because my daughter is 14. And she said, you know, Mom, you'll die of old age. I'll die of climate change. Hmm. And that's a scary thing to hear from your kid. So what can we do? First of all, I'll say there is no substitute for federal action. This, ha this is a global problem. Not only does our country have to act as one, frankly, in all industrialized countries have to be doing their part. But in our case, we're doing, we're, we're doing all that we can. We have uh, really move the needle around energy efficiency. That is the most important thing we can do for climate change, use less energy and electricity. So we have very high goals around energy efficiency as a state mm -hmm. set by me and my administration, and we're hitting them. We're making it easier to buy electric vehicles, easier to install solar panels and other renewable energy at your home as well as small businesses. I started a financing uh, bank to allow that to happen. But Rhode Island is also home to North America's only, first and only offshore wind farm, which is a point of pride for us and we're the leader. I was going to ask you about that because from uh, our porch in Weekapog, Rhode Island, we can see the five windmills on the other side of Block Island. They're beautiful. Yes, they are. Yep. And I was wondering if you, that, as you say, it's the only one on uh -huh. the East Coast. And there's exactly. been a in, lot in of, all of America. It's lot, the only one. only one. A lot of opposition to yeah. other proposed sightings yeah. off the coast. Do you get a lot of uh, flack because of that? or We did initially. Like any change, there was opposition. Fishermen were worried because when the turbines go mm. into the ocean floor, it disrupts the flow of fish. Commercial fishing is a big industry mm -hmm. here, so the fishermen were worried. We had to take that into account appropriately. Um, it, obviously, there's opposition from entrenched fossil fuel interests, and frankly, even individuals who didn't want their view obstructed. Even though they're miles off the land, there was that opposition. That has mainly dissipated. And we've worked really hand-in-glove with the fishermen, which is important, so they maintain their livelihood. And we are now going to put up another 50 su similar such turbines. 5-0. And procure hundreds of megawatts of clean energy. And it's totally clean in the ocean, uh, and it's the future. Uh, of and by the way, create a lot of jobs. So what I've said is, you know, once upon a time, Rhode Island was the birth of the Industrial Revolution, the jewelry manufacturing industry. Now we're the birthplace of the offshore wind industry. So, and all the jobs that go with the new industry are going to come to Rhode Island. But of course, Donald Trump says the problem with the windmills is that the wind doesn't always blow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, someone could point out to him that the sun also goes down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we. This is a fundamental disagreement I have with the president. He wants to drill in the ocean for oil, and I want to put, you know, wind turbines in the ocean. Healthcare, another issue in which uh, th 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 this administration has done everything they can to gut the Affordable Care Act. 
as a governor, what can you do? Yeah, we have to fight so hard. So we can uh, maintain our health exchanges and make sure that they have, our, you know, run them state by state and make sure that there's enough choice. You know, like on the Rhode Island Exchange now, if you were to go purchase insurance, there's a dozen or more options, 15, 16 options. They're affordable. Our premiums are some of the lowest in America. Um, I just put forth to the legislature, and I'm, they're about to send it to me for my signature, we are reinstituting the individual mandate just in Rhode Island. And then we're going to use the money we collect from that to shore up our health exchange so our premiums are low. So he is really, the president is working overtime to take health care away from people, and we have to do everything we can as governors to uh, stop it. We also have a Secretary of Education who is determined, it seems, to do everything she can to undermine public schools in this country. Um, that's a challenge, as you see, as it, governor? It is a challenge, and again, another area where governors can move the needle. So here in Rhode Island, I just put forth to the legislature a budget which proposes record investments in education. I want to bring about public universal pre-K Every kid ought to be able to go to pre-K, not just if you're rich enough to pay for it. Um, I grew up in Rhode Island in the 70s, the heyday of America's income equality. We benefited in my generation from public schools, public buses, affordable college. And I was a kid who grew up. My dad came from a family of butchers and immigrants. He worked in a factory himself. But my brother, my sister, and I, we went to college. My brother's a doctor. I'm a governor. Because we could go to public libraries, public mm -hmm. buses, public schools, we got to bring that back to America so the American dream is alive and well. And this president and his education secretary and his cabinet secretaries are, seem determined to undo that. And every governor in America needs to do whatever they can to stop it. Again, this is the Bill Press Pod. We're talking today with Governor Gina Raimondo of Rhode Island and brought to you today by the Smart Union. Members of the sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation workers all together as a Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers. They are the sheet metal workers, service technicians, bus operators, engineers, conductors, sign workers, welders, production employees, and a whole lot more, all giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. We salute them, thank them for the support of the Bill Press Pod. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. 
CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So welcome back to the Bill Press pod for today. We're talking with Governor Gina Raimondo from the state of Rhode Island. Again, Governor, thanks, thanks for joining us. I want to ask you about a couple of uh, issues um, home issues here to um, to Rhode Island. Uh, first, you did mention earlier that just last week you signed legislation um, pro-reproductive rights, women of Rhode Island, going in the opposite direction from where a lot of other states have gone recently in terms of the, almost a total ban on abortion in Georgia or the fetal heartbeat legislation in a dozen or so states. Um, Priority for you, and again, politically risky in Rhode Island, or? Uh, it is a priority. You know, Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land in this country and in my state for 50 years. 50, 50 years of allowing women the opportunity to have access to high-quality health care and to make these very personal, difficult decisions the way they should be made in consultation with their physician. And so the law that I signed last week, the bill I signed to make mm -hmm. law, just codifies the status quo and gives women peace of mind that whatever happens at the Supreme Court here in Rhode Island, that status quo is codified. Um, you know, some people said, well, why is it a priority? You know, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. But I listened to so many, I was on the campaign trail last year, and in Rhode Island, you do a lot of retail politics. Right. Women are afraid. I heard it. I heard it from so many people. And so I felt that we had to take action. Um, here in Rhode Island, the, the bill I signed it has majority support. So it's not as politically difficult as, say, mm -hmm. Louisiana or Alabama. But anyway, to me, it's just about keeping the status quo so women can have access to the health care they need and deserve. Let's talk about one issue that more and more states are dealing with, I think there are nine states now and the District of Columbia that um, recognize recreational marijuana, mm -hmm. have legalized recreational marijuana. In Rhode Island, medicinal marijuana, yes, but not yet recreational marijuana. Correct, uh, correct. I wh where, where, where do mm. you stand on that? Sorry. I propose, I have been reluctant, let me say this. I did not go for it immediately. Last year, Massachusetts, which is our neighbor, mm -hmm. and you know, as we sit here in Providence, <laughs> you could get in your car and be in Massachusetts in six minutes. <laughs> uh, and there are a lot of 
they they went to recreational last year and you could get in your car now and go to Seekonk in six minutes and there's a big retail shop. So in light of that fact that it is here, mm -hmm. right? I said this year I proposed to the legislature to, to bring about recreational. Um, the legislature declined and instead we're going to expand our medical marijuana program, um, which I'm fine with, especially if it allows us to properly regulate it and then that leads us to adult use recreational. My proposal was really just a practical proposal, which is I talked to our state troopers who are on the road here and they're telling me, Governor, it's here whether you like it or not, so you ought to regulate it, which is what I think Rhode Island should do. If we don't do it this year, maybe next year. By could it be done by initiative, perhaps? Uh, it could. It could, although Rhode Island doesn't, we're not really a ballot initiative state. We tend to just go to the ballot for constitutional amendment and uh, bonding. So the, it would go through the legislature most likely. Uh, I read also in the Providence Journal that there were at least reports, and it's kind of on again, off again, that ICE may be, might be conducting some wholesale raids of uh, people who are here uh, illegally and uh, round them up and deport those families. Um, and the, 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 the journal reporting that um, immigrant advocates are very worried about that here in Providence. Does it worry you? Absolutely, absolutely. This president and his administration have, have not advanced an immigration policy that makes people safer, and I think it's time that they knock it off with the politics of fear and get serious about an immigration policy. Um, look, this is federal territory, and a governor is limited in what she can do as it relates to immigration policy, really almost nothing because it's all federal. But, and we'll follow the law here, you know, we will follow the law, but it's, it's wrong. I know people, we all do, I know people who have been Rhode Islanders for 20, 25 years. They've raised their children here, they work here, they pay taxes here, and they can't become citizens. Mm -hmm. Give them a path to citizenship. Deport people who are dangerous and committed crimes. Secure our borders, absolutely. But let's get serious about an immigration policy because what the president's doing now is, is mean and cruel and inhumane and frankly not making anyone safer. We are on the brink, we're actually not on the brink, we're already in the middle of a pretty lively Democratic primary for 2020. Um, depending on whether you count Mike Ravel or not, there are 23 or 24 uh, Democratic candidates. You're in a position of leadership in the Democratic Party. You know them all. Um, who's your candidate? I don't have one at the moment because I'm the chair of the DGA. So I have, I'm staying out of it for the period of time that I am the chair. So if you come back this time next year, I'll have a candidate. <laughs> but I'll say this. Wait, now again, you're six minutes from Massachusetts and you're not supporting <laughs> Senator Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> Listen, I think that I think she's excellent. Uh, I've worked very closely with Vice President Biden on a number of issues. He's helped me an awful lot with infrastructure and job training. Cory Booker and I have been friends since we were at Oxford together and he was my husband's roommate in law school. Um, Kamala Harris, I just talked to her last week. She congratulated me on the choice bill and she helped me Mm -hmm. in the campaign. I mean, 
on and on and on. So uh, G Governor Hickenlooper and I, I think he's terrific. So here's the thing. I'm excited that we have so many great candidates. And I'm going to let it settle out a bit before I decide which one of them I'll get behind. What do you see um, as governor of Rhode Island? What do you see at stake in this election? I mean, we always say every four years, right, this is the most important I election know, ever. True. But I got to tell you, but I this feel this one it. really is. <laughs> I know. I, I feel that it is. What do you see at stake? Oh, my God. You know, I talk to my mother. I talk to my mother every day. She's 88 years old. She's lived through it all. She's lived through the Depression, World War II, Vietnam, Nixon. She said, Gina, I've never been so scared in all my life. The breakdown of the rule of law, the breakdown of democratic norms, combined with uh, the income inequality that, that we've never seen, really, in this country, that is fueling all this anger and divisiveness and violence. We need a real leader in the White House. We need a serious leader to 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 patch up the wounds that are dividing us as Americans and to make the investments necessary so that the American dream is alive. The scariest thing that I see on a day-to-day -day basis when I'm out and about talking to people, and that's what governors do. We're not in Washington. <laughs> We're on the ground in Main Street, USA. People are losing hope. And when you lose hope, that's very scary because they're working their tails off to not get ahead, to be poor, dropping out of college because they can't afford it and they don't see any hope. And we need somebody who can who can make the changes necessary so that people get their hope back again and someone who actually cares about keeping us safe and who binds us back together again. And let me ask just this one final question because, you know, I know Rhode Island a little bit, not all that well, but I see Rhode Island uh, as um, it's a great state, great people, and basically a middle-class, yeah. blue-collar, working population, which one might say would be fertile territory for Donald Trump and his message. And yet, Rhode Island's a blue state and remained a blue state. So what works in Rhode Island Yeah, that you think, you know, maybe Democrats ought to learn from and you could work in other states? Such a good question. I'm... Um, a lot of people call Rhode Island the Rust Belt of New England. It's a phrase I've heard. Mm -hmm. Oh, Rhode Island's the Rust Belt of New England because we were all about jewelry manufacturing, working class. I told you, my own dad. Te textiles. Textile, textiles, jewelry manufacturers, um, other manufacturers. When I was a kid, that's what my dad did. He got in the carpool in the morning, and all his buddies, they went off to the factory. That's how we all grew up. And that, of course, went away. So some people are losing coal. Some people are lo in right. other states. Some people are losing auto manufacturer. We lost manufacturing. I am the first Democratic governor to be elected in more than 20 years in Rhode Island. Wow. I, yeah. I realize that. Yeah. yeah. I'm the first Democratic governor to be elected in, I think it's 24 years when I was elected. Um, I'm also the first to win more than 50% of the vote in a dozen years. And I think it goes to what you just put your finger on. I have been totally focused on jobs, jobs, jobs. And although I care about the climate and choice and these other issues, people need a sense of economic security 
at a time when they see the world shifting under their feet. And so that's why I've focused on construction jobs, manufacturing, high-end manufacturing jobs, job training. Mm -hmm. And our economy has gone from one of the worst to one of the best. And when people see that and they feel a little bit better about their paycheck at the end of the day around the kitchen table, they give you the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And I would say to those couple dozen people running, focus on that. The income, it's so scary right now. People feel it at the end of every day, at the end of every paycheck when there's not enough to go around. Speak to that. Don't get sidelined on these other issues. If you speak to that, I think we'll be just fine next year. Right. Well, from your lips to their ears, let's hope, Governor. It's great to see you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for spending time with us. Enjoy the beach in Westerly. <laughs> Thank you. And that's it for today's Bill Press Pod. Again, you'll find us wherever you go for your favorite podcast. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so you won't miss any edition of the Bill Press Pod. And if you really like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. That really helps build our audience and get the word out. Again, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.